Hello, everyone. My name is Laura Gilmore, and I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Alberta in Canada. As an autistic student, I have often felt I don't understand many of the things I am just expected to know. Many of my friends and colleagues I've got to know well in my university years are immigrants rather than other neurodiverse people, as they also face this experience of integrating into a culture that is not their natural way of thinking and masking to some degree. Today, I bring you Dr. Malika Shulman, who is my former research supervisor and who had the experience of attending university in Canada as an immigrant from the late 1980s to 1999. She must have liked Canada, as her and her husband settled here and raised their family and are in no rush to go anywhere else. She is currently an associate dean at McEwen University in Edmonton, Alberta. Before I turn this over to Malika, I will delve into a little geography so you can figure out where exactly is Bavaria, where is Alberta, and where is the Maritons. Bavaria is a state in the country of Germany, but Malika comes from a remote, rural, mountain community in Bavaria, which has distinct culture and tradition that is different from the rest of the state. The Maritons in Canada are the eastern Canadian provinces on the Atlantic Oceans. Some elements of Maritime culture originate from pre-Germanic states. Alberta is a non-coastal western province. Even within the same country, culture differs from region to region. I will now turn this to Malika. So my name is Dr. Malika Shalomun. I moved to Canada 34 years ago, just having married a Canadian, so I was not actually classified as an international student. But I come from Germany, so English was not my first language. Uh, I had never lived in Canada before. So starting university um, here to me was very much an, an international experience where I was dealing with a different educational system with a different language. Mm-hmm. And in my case, being a student on the spectrum, I have lived in various parts of Canada with different cultures, such as the Maritimes, where people talk much more rapidly, and the cadence of speech is quite different. And also, besides all that moving all around the country, you know, being on the spectrum, sort of cultural norms are different a little bit, too. For example, I find it uncomfortable if I'm trying to learn a concept, making direct eye contact and listening at the same time. And in some cultures, it's actually considered disrespectful to make eye contact with superiors, just as an example, when I was looking into cultural research. And now I'm going to turn it over to uh, Malika to reflect a little bit on that experience, sort of of communication style across cultures, and then back to me with another example. Yeah, I I was really surprised, I must admit, when, when I started here as a student, that I was actually facing barriers. I hadn't conceptualized myself as being different. It's interesting how how small things suddenly become really big in interactions. A couple of examples from my undergraduate days are, first of all, I have a very different a sense of personal space from the majority of Canadians. I like to have the door closed on my office. Um, I like to stand at a certain distance from people. And I think yes. that's a cultural difference. It's not something one would go up to someone and say, hey, don't stand too close to me. It makes me feel uncomfortable or I, I don't enjoy hugging people a lot uh, because it's not part of my culture. It may offend people when you say those kinds of things. So you don't say it, but then you find yourself in situations where you are feeling uncomfortable a little bit or awkward. You don't quite know how to respond. Another example would be I grew up in Bavaria where language can be 
let's say more colorful mm. than it is than it is in Canada. Um, and uh, there were a couple of occasions in class I remember running a lab and something going going really wrong and I'd have to start over again. And I said a swear word and the entire class basically dropped what they were doing, mm. turned around and stared at me. And I didn't know cognitively that uh, this wasn't an acceptable behavior in Canada, but it wasn't something that was at the top of my mind in the heat of the moment. And that was something I had to learn. And it was difficult to explain this to other people who just thought I was being rude and crass, that this wasn't considered something really horrible to say where I had grown up. Same as uh, one of the towns my family and I lived was in my childhood in rural Newfoundland. People, like there was a certain word that was a common slang word in the town. It would be like, hello, it's a bleeping nice day. And even little old ladies and kindergarten teachers would say it. And it was really, you know, nothing to use that word. Whereas here in Alberta, people don't swear in public places. It's very much behind closed doors. And as far as that whole uh, hugging thing, even to give hugs with friends and family, I sort of have to plan it out and initiate it with my own sensory issues. And sometimes that is perceived as rude. Yeah, it can make for some awkward situations with people where you really don't want to offend them. You quite like them. This has nothing to do with it. Um, but you feel awkward. And, and even if you don't say something, um, I think we pick up on the fact that the other person is, is not feeling entirely comfortable and that it makes us uncomfortable. So it does make for some awkward interactions. In addition, I find one of the biggest things that sort of gets to me, sort of the one experience I had TAing or in general working in groups as far as communication is I'll sort of say things like it is. Like I'll say, you know, this needs work and you need to fix the grammar in this and you need to do this, this and this in a list. Whereas some people in evaluation, they prefer the sandwich method of you did this really, really good. You need to do this and you did this really, really good. Yeah, I, th I think I faced that in grading and I've had those kinds of discussions with colleagues where they say you have to make sure that you're giving a lot of positive feedback. Uh, again, the culture where I grew up, we're more blunt. If there is um, something that is critical that we can say, we will say that not because we're trying to make the person feel bad, but because we feel that by giving critical feedback, we're giving them an opportunity to fix whatever is the issue to address it yes. uh, and, and to do better the next time. And there are some students where that is unproblematic. There's other students who feel that it is being overly critical. I have to be cognizant of that in my interactions with students. So I try very, very intentionally to say good things. And when something is done right, not just to say, okay, this is right. I don't need to say something about it. There's no learning opportunity, but to actually give the feedback. Yes. This was done well. This is right. This is exactly the way you should continue to do things. And that's not something that would have occurred to me in the past. It was something I had to learn. I get as a person on the spectrum as a whole, you know, you talk too fast, too loud. <laughs> Yes, I often get I talk too much and I talk in very long sentences. And again, I think that is a that's sort of a cultural and language issue where I find that, say, sometimes to me, Canadians, at least initially when I moved here, sounded very choppy with with short sentences. I tend to make long sentences that are convoluted hmm. to Canadians. Um, and that was something that I was struggling with when I was at university in terms of writing papers, where I, I had been considered to be a 
quite good writer in in Germany, uh, and some of the feedback I got on on my writing in Canada was was quite negative in that my language was too verbose and too convoluted. I've been torn apart for a lot of run-on sentences in my things and assignments. Yeah. And sort of that, you know, overwordiness and using big words, especially even in internet forums or group chats on subjects that aren't academic, people will just, you know, tear me apart and say I'm being annoying. Yeah. Often within a culture, there's sort of a whole bunch of like shared ideas and sort of subcultures that are sort of social norms that everyone knows these and sometimes are even included on IQ tests. For example, I saw a painting recently in a grocery store of this guy called Connor McDavid. And he's a famous hockey player that's well known in Edmonton. And I had to ask who he was. Or another time, which was directly related to university, I was online collecting data for my master's research. And this person online, you know, messaged me through this virtual world where I also had a profile picture of myself and asked me to name the U of A mascot when I was advertising for the survey. And I didn't have any idea who this mascot who was supposedly called Goonie was because I paid no attention to these university sports. And so they called me a fake U of A student and said that my picture, because I was sort of have a utilitarian in style that I didn't look like someone who would be a university student. I just kind of laugh because you get all kinds when you do online surveys, but it sort of made me think I wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah, I find that sometimes in, in terms of what things are important to me and what things are important to other people. So, for example, to me personally, the way I dress is not that important. I don't feel the need to, to dress in a particular way to impress people with who I am. Uh, and that works quite well usually in the university context. But, for example, earlier today I was meeting with a lawyer and I was feeling distinctly underdressed. <laughs> so it, it's a cultural thing. And and then it depends on the particular situation. I feel that very much so at poster presentations. I'm often underdressed where I think I'm quite well-dressed, where I'll sort of, you know, put on something like a like a wraparound scarf and say, you know, that's my jewelry and skip the makeup. And just if my hair is brushed and I'm wearing clean clothes, I'm dressed. Yeah. And and again, I, th I think the, the culture comes into it. It's also uh, what is considered uh, being nicely dressed. So again, where I grew up uh, wearing fabrics that, that are particularly nice is nicely dressed. It doesn't mean it has to, it has to have a particular cut or it has to be uh, a suit to be nice. You can be very nicely dressed if you're wearing something that's made from a good fabric, say a linen fabric. Thank you. I wonder if you can share, you had told this years ago in neuropsychology, I think, and you may or may not resemble this. You'd mentioned something about an IQ test sample of general knowledge in a psychology class where you were asked a political question that you didn't know and that the other students knew? Oh, that was a, that was a long time ago. Yeah, we were, we were learning about IQ tests. On IQ tests, often you have a number of information questions where you start with easier questions and get to harder and harder questions. And if a person cannot answer a particular number of questions in a row, they're not even answered the remaining questions because they're more difficult. And, and the, the idea is they wouldn't possibly be able to answer it. And I found a couple of the 
questions that were considered easy, I couldn't answer because yes. this was something that was very much cultural and was simply not information I had come across. On the other hand, um, I remember the, the very most difficult uh, question on that particular IQ test we were learning about was about this obscure German philosopher uh, who happened to live in the town where yeah. I went to university in Germany. Uh, so to me, that was a very easy question. So that demonstrated to me just how much, uh, for example, IQ tests are, yes. are culture-bound. Whatever particular culture you're coming from will really influence what is an easy question for you and what isn't. And of course, that's one of the well-known biases in, in IQ testing is that they are very much culturally specific. Yes, whereas I'll remember the heights of famous skyscrapers or obscure facts from classes I took years ago when areas gives a special interest. But if someone asks me to name a hockey player of the Edmonton Oilers, I may not be able to. I might not be able either <laughs> to do that. But having worked with students from different cultures and students with different backgrounds, and this doesn't have to be that they're international students. I mean, I've worked with you in the past. Yes. Um, you have to be cognizant of this, that uh, just because someone doesn't know a particular piece of information, that doesn't really tell you a lot about the person. Uh, it might just be what they've had access to or what they have a personal interest in or what their culture values. And you have to be really sensitive to the fact that different people value different information or different skills. Uh, and just because you find that something is important doesn't mean someone else does. It was a pleasure engaging in conversation with Dr. Malika Seliman and comparing and contrasting our experiences. As discussed in some of the presentations on Universal Design for Learning, changes that can help one group of people can also help everyone. For instance, being respectful and inclusive towards those who think and act differently than you, and to take the time to assist somebody who needs additional explanation on something that, quote, quote, everyone knows will help all diverse students and faculty and not just autistic ones. You can find more great content on the Stairway to STEM website at www.stairwaytostem.org or by searching for the YouTube channel Stairway to STEM. Thanks and bye for now.